0: From world conflicts to falling financial markets, natural disasters, and more, wish the headlines would just stop. It's not a newsflash that life can feel like a pressure cooker. From managing work to building relationships, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. And for many of us, anxiety and stress are constant companions. But you're not alone. You may not know it, but support is out there. Just waiting to meet you. And you can find it through the friendly people at Church's Care. At Churches Care, we know that finding your community can feel intimidating. That's why we do the heavy lifting for you. Churches Care helps connect people like you to churches that can support and serve you. In your new community, you'll find a group of people ready to talk, listen, and help you navigate life through its twists and turns. All you have to do is come as you are. If you're ready to find your community, visit ChurchesCare.com today. That's ChurchesCare.com. C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S care.com We look forward to serving you. Your name was mine It's a Razzle podcast It's a Razzle podcast It's a podcast. It's a It's a rap
1: Welcome back to the Rasball Prospect Podcast with your host, Ralph Lifshitz. I am, of course, here, as always, with my co-host, Lance Brozdowski. This is, of course, brought to you by Prospects Live, our prospect site. You can check that out at prospectslive.com, shameless plug. I got to tell you, Lance, I'm excited to start the show because we finally have some news. And it's news that, I, I guess a little bit of hot stove spark, finally, if we can call it that, with, like, five, six, seven days until baseball really starts. There's already guys at complexes, but we finally had something to talk about. It's been a struggle throughout the season to come up with topics, but Sixto Sanchez, Jorge Alfaro, and Will Stewart were traded to the Miami Marlins in exchange for JT Romuto going obviously over to the Philadelphia Phillies. So this kind of touches on redraft. It touches on dynasty. This is MLB news, MILB news. There's a lot to dig and sink our teeth into So I'm going to kick it over to you, Lance. What do you say, man? I'm going to put you in the hot seat. What are your thoughts initially on this trade for each team?
2: Yeah, I thought about it, I think, a lot when I first saw it. Um, I had some free time, so it's nice to see a trade unravel like that, especially when it kind of builds up and then you get the dependent on medicals and then you get the confirmation from the various insiders. But I I think it's a win-win. I don't know where I'm coming down. This. I think that I, I initially, when I heard the trade, I was like, you know, I think this is a win win. I looked at like the money. I looked at projections and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm okay with this. Like on both sides. I think that it fills the Phillies hole. And I think maybe the lifetime value of Alfaro and Sixto Sanchez is probably going to equal to equal to outplay what real Muto is going to do in the next two years. So, you know, that in my mind, I think that you win, win in that situation. But I do understand the more I've thought about it, that the risk is immense with Sixto Sanchez in a variety of areas. But I almost guess if you're the Marlins, you probably want a lottery ticket, right? This like this, right? Like you, you're going in, you need an ace. You need a guy who's true plus arm, top twenty pitcher um, in the minor leagues. Probably top twenty prospect in the minor leagues. I think I ranked him out right around like twenty to thirty. I think we were probably around like forty to fifty overall in the prospects live top one hundred. But he's in that window. He's one of the top right handed pitchers in the league. He's a little bit smaller. I get that, um, which is maybe some of the knock on him. But man, this kid throws gas. He paints it well. The command projects to be above average. You know, he's got multiple pitches, which I think is a huge, huge, huge part of this, um, especially on the curveball and change-up side of things. is also pretty hard and has a lot of downward tilt. Um, I like it, man. I think Sixo's pretty good. Uh, I'm willing to bet on him if I am the Marlins, and if I have any inclination that, you know, I, I think this is going to produce future value that can ac- exceed what Rainbow Two is going to do, which is probably going to be like seven, 7.5-ish seven to eight WAR, uh, 8 war over the next two years. You know, I'm fine with this, man. You get all far back. He's a good framer um don't really know what his approach is he has like a terrible uh contact rate and a variety of other things that aren't really good at all but he's a good defender and we've noticed that i guess if you're kind of average overall at the bat and he is because he hits so many home runs and his ISO is so good if you're a good framer like you could actually net out and be one of the better catchers in the league so um i guess there's a lot of ways to look at it man i don't know i I think i
1: think obviously
2: remoto is really good but i i like the return for the marlins I, i don't know i think it's a fine move but what do you think
1: Yeah. You know, I I tend to agree with you totally uh, in that regard that I think it's a win win for both teams. And it's funny because I feel like there were a lot of hot takes in terms of the Phillies run this deal. This is, you know, running away. There's no question um, in terms of, you know. You know who's who's going to end up looking you know looking good in this? The the Marlins got you know swindled once again. They had designs of you know getting Ozzy Albies and all these crazy demands. Well, we were making fun of them a week ago for for these crazy demands because we said JT Romuto is not worth a player like that. And we yeah. know that the Braves <laughs> that you know, you know apparently you know weren't uh, all that interested in parting with anybody besides I guess Austin Riley, pretty too, much yeah. straight up. Is, um, Kyle Wright was yeah. off the table, so. For them to be able to sort of turn the tables and turn around and get, you know, a top arm like Sixto Sanchez, regardless of the concerns of size and durability, potential injuries that are going on, um, or even bullpen rest, just because he's a smaller righty, you know, we have to think about this. He's 20 years old. You know, uh, turns 21 in July. The guy was draft eligible for this season. I don't even know if he would be. I mean, potentially, right? Um, Mm -hmm. this would be the number, this would be the number one pick in the draft running away. It wouldn't even be a question, right? So I think I had him in, I think I had him in my top 30 overall in, in real life
2: um,
1: draft. So I'll I'll take a look and actually I'll, I'll, uh, make sure I I get that number down before the end of the show. But the reason I did is because I'm looking at this and versus like a guy like Casey Mize, who's excellent, but at the same time, like, If Casey, if he was in the same draft as Casey Mize, he would have gone over Casey Mize. He would have been the first pick. I mean, and I think we have to put that into perspective is how crazy, how gaga everyone was about Sixto Sanchez less than a year ago, even when he was pitching. And we got all the reports. I mean, Jason Waddell, you know, our teammate over at Prospects Live, Mm -hmm. has seen him probably as much as anyone. And, you know, he he voices the concerns, but. He also talks about how unique this guy is, his ability to, um, you know, just go after guys with the fastball, how athletic he is, how much funk you know, he sort of has in the delivery, how sharp some of the secondaries can be at times. I mean, he's inconsistent and he's young, but overall, I mean, this guy has you know, the, the baseline of a potential, um, you know, starting pitcher in the middle of the rotation with the upside to be an ace and, and. I just I I I can't fault the Marlins for for chasing that just just simply because they don't really have that in their system. This isn't a Giancarlo Stanton trade, you know. This isn't an Ozuna trade, even um, you know. If you want to take issue with that one, or even the 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 the, uh, uh, the trade, but I, I just I, I don't understand why they're taking as much heat as they are because then you add in the fact that. You know, Jorge Alfaro is a starting major league catcher now um, when we really put catchers into perspective and how long it takes him to sort of get to the major leagues and be ready. You know, he's what, 25, I think uh, I got to double check on the age, but he's gotten major league experience. We know that he can hit at least for power at the major league level, which is all you really want. He's not a net zero at the plate. The approach I don't love. So I don't love him as a fantasy player. But as a real-life player, he's a pretty good framer, equal to, to real, Mo, real Muto, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's got a cannon there. of an arm, so that's not an issue. You're not losing much there. this. So you're really not losing anything defensively, and you have all this upside and control. And the guy that he is offensively, he'll never be Real Muto with the hit tool and some of the speed. Yep. You could see some of those skills with Real Muto potentially diminishing over the next few years than losing him in the open market, they now have a guy who could improve. His approach should get better. their strikeouts just naturally should probably come down a little bit. And he has 20 homer pop. If he, And he's going to have the opportunity to, with a lot less pressure, sort of grow at the major league level, which I think is valuable. So they have this nice core of players now where they have some guys up the middle. We know that they have a ton of outfielders. They have some infielders. You know, um, Now that they've added sort of that Franchise arm potentially. The other guys kind of slide in Niedert and and Yomamato uh, and some of these other guys kind of slide in Nice Lopez even at the major league level. Um, that My boy Braxton Garrett. Yeah, and I, you know, potentially right. I mean, if he comes back and really pushes, so, but there's in, in Rogers. I mean, they have some arms. So so all of a sudden the system looks a lot better, and I think their potential rotation looks a lot better, especially. Going into the draft, there's there's some guys they could probably pluck. Who knows? Maybe they get Carter Stewart, right? So they can then then go in. I, I have to check on what their bonus numbers are. I assume it's probably pretty high. They then go in and maybe pick off, you know, two or three really nice prospects, fill out that system, and we're looking at a pretty good core. Um, it's what they needed to do. I don't have an issue with that, Stewart. I know that. Uh, excuse me. If you if you take a look at. Uh, Smata's, um, uh, uh Twitter account. I know that, he, you know, uh, he's, I guess, between uh, his wife giving birth and, and him, you know, being a, a <laughs> dad a champ, in cave man. mode, as I would say it. He still found time to tweet about the trade. So he tweeted out um, some minor graphs on Will Stewart's uh, walk rate and, and strikeout rate, and they're going in the right direction. So I'd say just go check it out. So maybe they got a nice third piece here as well. I don't think this is going to be a bad trade. I think we'll look back and we'll say, If it works out for Philly, great. It works out for Philly. It was a move that they had to make. You can't knock them. They don't lose a lot, I don't think, in the long run, even if Sixto does work out, just because of the window that they have open right now with the players that they have, especially if they go out and they get a guy like Machado um, or Harper, which I think is a real possibility at this point. And they could have a real wagon going into 2019, 2020 and this guy's right behind him, maybe they have an opportunity to re-sign him. So I think it's a good move for both teams. I think it fits where each team is, and uh, I think there's been a lot, like I said, I think I think there's been a lot of shade kind of thrown the Marlins' way just because they're the Marlins. No?
2: Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that there is a, um, <laughs> a decent amount of shade. I feel like one of the arguments I always hear about, and this applies, I don't want to bring in basketball, but I feel like this applies to the Knicks where, The Knicks just always screw things up, so there's like the stigma around no matter what happens, you know that they're gonna screw something up, and that's just like what I feel. Yeah, and it's like the Mets too, and you know, but with the Marlins, as much as you might want to say that if you're a Marlins fan or uh, you follow the Marlins or whatever, it's a new ownership group, and I guess to some extent it's maybe easy for me to say that you should give them a chance, but. I think you should give them a chance. You know what I mean? Like, there's a good chance that they're they're making calculations very differently than the prior ownership did. I don't mind what Jeter's done so far. Like, I mean, the Brinson trade, I was actually debating this with a buddy earlier in mine today, but um, the Brinson trade was one that I, I think they kind of really messed up. But otherwise, I mean... They just whiffed on a couple guys. They mainly just whiffed on Brinson and some others. But, I mean, they still got Monti and San Diaz, and some other guys. Like, there's there's a core there, and I think this is the same thing. It's a massive lottery ticket, and I don't mind it at all. I think it, it heavily is going to hinge. The future value of this is going to hinge on what it actually eventually becomes of Sixto Sanchez. They have a lot of control in him. Alfaro can easily produce four to five war. In the next whatever they own him for the next f- four years, I think four years of control heading into the season, which is great. I mean, there's there's a good chance that this is netting out to be in the Marlins' favor long term, especially because it's only two years of Muto. Will Smith, I don't know if I'm as high on uh, Walker. was in a in the right direction, but the mechanics are uh, really odd to me. Uh, he he's like Stewart. front side doesn't Will sorry sorry his, his front side doesn't necessarily fly open, but if you watch him and you pause him like a little after like front foot strike his uh glove arm is like like this broken limb that just like flies all the way out. And it's like, I don't really know. Like he separates well, so it's really odd. And I've come to the conclusion that I Maybe think he just has guy. like extremely, he has like extremely abnormal like shoulder flexibility is my, gonna be my s- kind of point. So if you like, I don't know. He's, I've just been watching him a little bit and I'm kind of like, Confused and mesmerized, and at the same time. But I mean, I see why he doesn't throw hard on the mechanics, but they're funky. I don't think he's there's no way he's a starter. But hey, if he could be funky enough to kind of spin in like a a loopy slider from that low three quarter slot from the left side, like he could, be could end up being fine. So
1: it, yeah, I don't mind maybe. that piece,
2: but it's going to heavily hev- heavily hinge on Sixto.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it, it, it hinges on Sixto, but it also hinges on how much offense Alfaro can provide because if he does kind of develop into True. the offensive catcher, a lot of people thought he could be. And this is a guy that maybe has 25 to 30 Homer pop. And he has enough thump in the bat that maybe he doesn't walk, but he hits for a high average because he hits the ball so hard when he does put it in play. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we know that there are guys that are successful like that. And maybe you could find a five or 6% walk rate, which could happen over time, get the strikeout rate down. I think there's an opportunity that you're like, Hey, this guy is just as good as real Muto is. It just may take, you know, three or four years to get there. But yeah, I think yeah. it's a possibility. I agree, man. I agree with let's you. Talk about, let's talk about an, another guy that, I guess, was a product of bad decisions from the former Marlins ownership group. So let's give you a good example of how bad the former Marlins uh, ownership group <laughs> was <laughs> the and the decisions just say. <laughs> that they made. And we're not talking about uh, Francis Martes, who they pretty much gave away. Let's go a step further. Let's talk about Chris Paddock, who they absolutely gave away for Fernando Rodney back in 2016. Now, if you've been a, a listener to this podcast and a reader of my my material over on Rasball throughout the years, you'll know that I was really into Chris Paddock back in 2016 when he was with the Marlins because the numbers were outstanding. And unfortunately, you know, Chris Paddock was no. Fortunately, Chris Paddock was traded to the Padres. Unfortunately, after a short stint in Fort Wayne, uh, you know, he he tore his uh, UCL, had to have Tommy John surgery, worked his way back throughout 2017, missed the entirety of that season. 2018, he comes out, starts the season a little bit late and absolutely pushes across two levels high in the Cal League, um, you know, didn't have uh, seemed to have any issues with the Cal League ball flying on him. Because he does a few things pretty well. He gets really weak contact, number one, when he does have contact that's made. But more than anything else, this guy throws strikes, doesn't walk anybody, and misses bats. So much so that I was doing some t- statistical analysis. I'm not smart, but I still know how to work my way around a fangraphs board. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I started looking at Paddock's number. So Paddock had a plus 35, I think it was 35.5% strikeout rate. It might have even been higher, but 35% strikeout rate. And his his walk rate was, um, you know, under 3%. So I wanted to find a player who had a sub 3% walk rate because I thought that was really unique. You know, I didn't want to bring it out to four because I thought that would open up the the, – there's a big difference between three and four. I mean, even though four is incredibly low, there's still a big difference between three and four throughout an entirety of the season. And I wanted to see somebody that had a 30% plus strikeout rate. So 30% plus because I think that that's rarefied air. Once you get you know outside of the upper twenties, and you find someone with that three uh, percent uh, walk rate. Now there are plenty of guys that were under three percent for a walk rate. Not a lot of a lot of them were just like pen guys, whatever control guys, you know, college guys that were in like low A because they looked at all levels, and there are other guys like you know Shane Bieber had a really r- insanely low walk rate, and I think in twenty seventeen. And, but his strikeout rate was like 20%. So you know, you're talking about someone that didn't have a high strikeout rate. So I had to go back. I went all the way back 11 years and I looked at 2008 and the closest guy I could find, at least I think so, at least of note was Madison Baumgarner, uh, in the Sally league, his first, first full professional season. He threw 142 innings and he had a 29.9% strikeout rate and a 3.8% walk rate. So he still wasn't within those thresholds. And you're talking about Madison Baumgartner. So if we look back over the last decade, Chris Paddock's 2018 statistically was historic. So I started digging in more and, and you know, watching a few more starts. And I had watched some Paddock throughout the season. I've always thought that his, you know, his changeup was double plus, you know, his fastball that I know Lance will probably talk about a little bit, um, got stronger throughout the season, which I think was a great sign for a guy coming off of Tommy John surgery. Um, and the Padres were conservative with sort of how they managed his innings. They made sure that he stayed pretty much under 80 innings. I think he only exceeded 80 once, maybe 85 when one of his last few starts. Um, so they kept him under that threshold, but his control was so good. And, you know, his pitchability and his stuff on top of that is so good and hard to pick up and hit because he's deceptive that, you know, he got deeper into starts and, he was able to pile up 90 innings. And I I think if you really put those 90 innings in perspective, um, you watch some of these starts, they were in, you know, um, in an incredibly efficient 90 innings, which I think speaks volumes about the kind of player he is. I know that the strikeout rate ticked down at double a, but a lot of that was a product of the first three starts. Didn't have a lot of swinging strikes. His last four starts, his strikeout rate was back up to 14.4%. He only made seven starts in double a. So, there's a lot I like about P- Paddock. There's a lot I could unpack here because I'm writing an article about him right now. That's going to go through some of this stuff. Um, but I-, I know some of his rituals, some of these other things. I'll leave some of that for for you, Lance, to talk about. But you <laughs> wrote up you you're, you're, you're a part you are uh, you're you are our Padres guru. You wrote up the Padres top 30 over on Prospects Live, and you got a lot of looks at Fort Wayne. And I feel like you're just a little closer to the organization. So I wanted to kick it over to you. And kind of get your mm-hmm. thoughts and and talk to me a little bit about Chris Paddock and why I'm right to love him. I think this guy potentially is a future ace.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think he projects extremely well. I mean, it's present average command, it probably pushes present above average, which is just so, so unique to some extent. And I get that maybe you the argument is there that he maybe only has two pitches right now. And he's still kind of working on the curveball, which is I I know is something that everyone always brings up about him. So Regardless of that, though, it's a, it's a double-plus change with the above-average fastball. But if, I think that fastball, to some extent, almost plays a little plus, especially to right-handed hitters when it's elevated, or even down on the zone based on how he spots it. Um, it's got a lot of ride. Um, based on the camera you're seeing it from, I think that it maybe it will kind of deviate in terms of how much ride it actually has. But this pitch, when elevated, you see it stay on plane, and it, and it just it just tails. It has like an insane amount of life, horizontal movement on this pitch. I, I really want to see that metric specifically at the major league level compared to what we know about some other pitchers in baseball um, who have just that much freaking just ability to kind of let that last finger kind of push a little of the ball one way and, and really pull that velo and just play with the arm slot of the guy in pronation and just pull the ball away from left-handed pitchers and into righties. And I'm a big fan of that. I think that that is just innate movement and that that to me probably pushes that pitch a little bit more towards plus. So you look at fastball, double plus fastball, double-plus changeup. He's probably end up with a reverse split to major league level to start. But at the same time, I know he does throw that changeup. It's both handedness of hitters. So – it won't be probably as bad against right-handed hitters, but I still think he will need that curveball. I know it's a little bit slower. Um, it probably profiles more right now as like a, a early count offering. You know what I mean? Like one of those, like get over one, one pitches, Oh, pitches, but I think he can develop it a little bit and hopefully he's able to bury it. And if he consistently buries it, then he can use it as kind of like a waste pitch with two strikes and really start to develop that change about as both a swing and miss pitch and one that he can generate ground balls with, which he hasn't really had too much of a problem with. Um, Throughout high and double A, um, I'm a big fan, man. I really like him. I like his mechanics a lot. He separates really well. There's a there's a the, the the distinction that I really like is that often in these really good plus present command pitchers, which you'll see, is a more rotational delivery with really not a lot of movement and a lot of control, a lot of body control, which isn't a bad thing, but it generally doesn't allow you for to do two things. One is to extend well, and two is to actually put velocity on the ball. And Paddock has a really nice blend of both. Where he's able to kind of post these insane walk rates, which you were talking about, but at the same time still sit 93 plus. And he's able to locate and he has movement. He's got all this stuff. And it's just it's a really, really good package. And I think he's pretty underrated, honestly. Like I think I had him I think I had him fourth on the Padres list. I had him behind Gore. Um, but I had him in front of guys like Patino. He's so close. I think he impacts this year, he's gonna come up. I was down at the winter meetings. I know Andy Green said that he met with him in the off season and maybe spoiled a little in terms of a projected debut. Um, didn't really give the date on that, but I, it just seemed like Andy Green's language was that he, Paddock will be up at some point, and they really want to give him a look. So my assumption was would be that maybe he maybe he goes starts AAA and then jumps right up after maybe or eighty or so innings or something like that, and then they pitch him for another like seventy and then let him go because he threw about I think almost ninety ish last year. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan, man. I really like him. I think that he's fun. I think Steamer likes him. The command is there. Um, we'll see how the development comes with the with the breaking ball. But kid's only 23. You know, he's going into his age 23 season. You give this two years to develop. I can't imagine he's going to have problems pulling off another kind of breaking ball. If he has, you know, if there's any concerns the Padres see, and they're hmm. going to give him time to start. He's a starter. There's no point in making him a reliever. He doesn't have relief risk. It's a high floor. The command is something that's just unbelievable with his mechanics and. I'm a fan, man. He's got a cool ritual where he wears a full suit, cowboy hat, and boots uh, prior to starts or on start days, I think, which is just awesome. And it's, it seems – maybe it doesn't seem that weird at like the major league level, but at the minor league level, it's definitely a little bit odd because obviously guys aren't really number one dressed that well or honestly don't have the money to dress that well, which is really no problem. It's not their fault. you know. It's just – it's not one of those things that you probably see a lot, but Dennis Lennon in The Athletic wrote a pretty good story on that and popped that detail, which I enjoyed. And yeah. uh, I'm a fan, man. I think we're both fans. I'm really excited to see this kid at the major league level, so – I'm gonna be uh he's won the watch for me. I think NL only leagues, he's a nice stash deep, super late. And uh drafting holds too, you know. You got really, really late, you want to pick up a pitcher or something like that, you think might they be late, why not? Give him a shot. I think he could, he could end up yeah. with like eighty innings and maybe productive second half.
1: Yeah, I was I was actually saying in 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 the article that um you know the trajectory that I sort of imagined for him this season is he only had thirty-seven innings, I think, at double A. So my mm-hmm. expectation is, you know, that we then see we then see Paddock um You know, probably return to San Antonio to begin the season Uh, sometime, maybe mid May or so. I would assume he pushes, gets you know promoted to Triple A's at El Paso, right? El Paso Chihuahuas. If I'm not mistaken, correct. And uh, that would leave him some sometime in July, maybe mid July, late July. Best case scenario for both the Padres and Paddock uh, in terms of a promotion, but. I think it's possible, and you know, I know that you know, one of my tweets today that I tweeted out about his strikeout rate and his walk rate and how historic it was, and blah blah blah. blah. I got quote tweeted by Derek Cardi, and uh, and and Cardi uh, uh, had mentioned that uh, you know Steamer and and the bat or the bat, excuse me, that's his predictions. The bat, the bat had you know uh, projected him out to have the best numbers of any um, you know. Uh, rookie starter and this is what a zra would be which would be ace like so i guess i got some confirmation but that tweet really took off i think i think it has like 200 likes thank god to the padres prospect community those people are so plugged in i love it Yeah, those guys are hounds i love them (laughs) yeah i mean there's a lot of stuff that's popping right now on twitter not only the the padres popping community uh padres prospect community so the padres popping community is like pop and lock it which would be kind of interesting <laughs> imagine that like you know Eric Hosmer was just into really really into pop and lock and you pop and lock battled like uh <laughs> you know Eric Lauer like <laughs> oh I'm getting way off on a tangent oh here God. I promise I'm not drunk but it is a little late on a Friday night um <laughs> but guy I want to talk about was Daniel Espino so I had uh retweeted some Daniel Espino stuff and I had kind of an interesting thought about his path If you guys don't know he's uh Panamanian player that uh, came over when he was 15 uh, to a, an academy down in Georgia, known as uh, Georgia Premier Georgia Premier Sox, or their their travel teams, uh, well known throughout the uh, the southeast region of the country. Um, as they've sent you know a few players into the draft, and it looks like they have a guy that's maybe going to go uh, maybe one one. There's some one one buzz, but potentially you know top ten. And uh, we've talked about him a bit, but he he has a unique path in the sense that he is a guy that. I guess technically would have, you know, qualified for the international market, could have gone to some of these academies and, uh, he chose to come stateside. And there's another guy that, uh, Chavez young, um, is another one that, you know, was, was a bohemian kid that sort of did the same thing, went through the Georgia premier program and getting drafted, and he's really taken off, had a great year this year in Lansing. Um, but the thing that's sort of unique about this path is that they came to the United States, they avoided the the, you know, international market. And I guess sort of what my question was, and I reached out to them about this and I ended up having a conversation with Gene Reynolds, who's I think one of the assistant coaches there or program directors at, uh, Georgia premier. And we had like a 40 minute conversation, really good guy, you know, really forthcoming with a lot of information, not just on Daniel, but sort of on their program and their approach. And I guess, you know, they've, they've actually scouted in the Bahamas or they have some contacts and moles down in the Bahamas, and, and, and other places that sort of tell him, Hey, check out this guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And what's sort of unique about this is I think with the new bonus rules, we see guys that like Espino, if he signs in the top 10 of the draft, potentially could sign for more money than he would have gotten in the international market two years ago, or if he was a late bloomer, even now as an age, 17, 18 year old. And, You know, I wonder if this is a viable option. We kind of saw the reverse happen with a guy like Alex Reyes, who was a New Jersey kid who went down to the Dominican Republic, kind of skirted the draft rules and signed for a boatload of money. So, you know, could we see a trend where it goes the other way? Is this the answer to the international market where some of these travel teams and these programs maybe, you know, even develop specifically for international kids to come here? And for lack of a better term, sort of assimilate into, you know, North American baseball culture and get, you know, uh, acclimated with, you know, what it's like to live stateside and all that sort of stuff um, in, you know, a more regulated environment that, you know, potentially could have better tools as well. We know about some of the perils and pitfalls of the international market. I don't think I need to go into a 20 minute tirade on that. So I guess sort of where my head was at was, is this a viable alternative And, you know, if not, you know, why, and if it is for who in particular. So I had this conversation with Gene, and, you know, Daniel has an interesting background that, you know, he has some family here in the States down in Florida. He actually came over when he was 10 and played some travel ball and went to school here and down in uh, Miami area, went back to Panama and his parents are uh, I guess relatively, you know, well-to-do and and pretty well-educated. His father's a doctor. His mother's like a financial analyst. Uh, so he lived there for three years, and they they realized that you know, he really wanted to go stateside. They didn't want to have to go through some of the you know academies and and whatnot in Panama. I don't think there's ma- as many opportunities, maybe you know, baseball-wise, as maybe a place like the DR or some of these other places. But we also know once again about some of the seedier sides of some of those academies. Um, so he came over to Georgia premiere and at that point, you know, he was an 81, you know, through 81, 82, uh, was a 15 year old that weighed about 153 pounds is I think exactly what they told me. Now he's up to 210. This guy is, you know, working in the mid nineties, popping a hundred on the gun at times. And it's really been sort of a, a, a testament to his work ethic and how hard he's worked. But I also think that it's a viable alternative for some of these guys that maybe aren't top projection guys. Those guys aren't going to get away from the DR. They're not going to get out of the academies in Venezuela unless there's a pathway to do so. And I think that's a long way down, down the road. But in some of these other places, the Bahamas, Panama, some of these other countries, I, you know, maybe even Cuba to an extent, though I, I doubt those guys are coming over early either. but. I think there's maybe an alternative for some of these lower level guys, guys that maybe wouldn't sign for as much or, you know, wouldn't sign for a year or two. Maybe they, you know, come over here and they develop a little bit more with, you know, better, potentially better coaching. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus here, but potentially better coaching, better facilities. And, you know, just that first step toward, I guess, Settling in to um, American culture, which I'm sure is a shock for a lot of these guys that come from places like Venezuela, the DR, Panama, et cetera, where you know they come over to the United States for the first time, and just food, signs, everything must be like absolute shock. I mean, if you've been in a, in a different country and alone by yourself for a second, I mean, I'm sure you could probably relate. So I, I just thought it, I thought it was really interesting the conversation that I had with Gene and the potential I think for this alternative long-term, um, just because of the point we're at with where bonuses are and some of the seedier things that have kind of come to light with the international market. Like I said, there's too much money to probably be made for some of these guys to slip through in the DR or Venezuela, but all these other countries where maybe there isn't as much of an established machine or hierarchy in terms of you know how amateur baseball was managed, I think it could be a viable alternative. And uh, it was interesting to learn a little bit also about You know, as their conversation sort of evolved, their training methods and some of the things they're doing, um, and you know the fact that they have you know even a few more kids that are coming over from the Bahamas and uh, and Panama right now. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's Mm -hmm. it was a really really interesting conversation, and I I felt like I came away um, you know much more informed on just sort of what the process is. And like I said, I you know. I don't know if it's if it's going to take over the international market, but I think it's a wrinkle that could pop up. That you know there might be a few more kids, especially with Espino's success, that that follow this sort of same pathway.
2: Yeah, I think another one of the more interesting things is almost just where the international market goes, country wise, in the future. You know, we have a lot of unrest in Venezuela that it seems like are causing a lot of distress in terms of the academy structure there and also just the players. The ability to go scout there, and then you look at countries like Brazil, where they're developing a little bit. And you have Perdinho and some other guys possibly coming out of there, and then places like the Bahamas. I think is Jazz Chisholm from the Bahamas, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, yep. yeah. Jazz he's, is from the Bahamas. Bahamian,
2: I believe, is, is probably the term. Yep, Lucius. Yeah, Lucious I mean, it's Fox. just Lucius Fox. There's the other one. I knew there was another one from the AFL, but um, yeah, I mean, that is
0: just really
1: interesting. yeah, the whole bunch.
2: Yeah, it's it's cool. It's really it's just I really like I like seeing this diversity in terms of the player pool that will eventually come through, and uh it's awesome, man. I'm a big fan of 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 Espino as well. I think that this is a guy we've talked about on other podcasts, and I think that he's probably projecting to be the top high school arm coming out of the draft, and possibly one of the top ten picks if a team is willing to to put some money on a, on a right handed pitcher like this, uh, a high school right hand pitcher that's young, but. His mechanics are insane, man. I mean, we've talked about this multiple times, but how he sits back on his leg and it's like a new, evolved form of drop and drive, which is just bonkers. I love it. And uh, yeah, there's some velo there, there's multiple pitches, there's feel for multiple pitches, which you rarely see for any kid this young. And uh, he's mowed, he's he's mowed down and shoved and most of the starts that the, the Georgia Premier Sox guys have put up, so it's pretty awesome in terms of that, but um. But yeah, I'm a fan, man. I'm I'm really interested to see where this connection kind of takes you, honestly, <laughs> in terms of getting in touch with the coach, because obviously he's going to have some showcase ball in St. Petersburg, Florida, I think you were saying. So uh, um, we'll definitely keep in touch and keep everyone in the loop on what he's doing development-wise, because yeah. he's a fascinating prospect, and uh, it's one that I think everyone should probably know the name of and will know the name of once once draft season starts to roll around.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll probably have Kyler and Jason down there, Eddie's down there. So uh, we have a lot of folks down in the St. Petersburg area that I think are going to be able to take It some games. I'd say go and check out. Uh, Kyler's actually been hitting up a lot of Juco ball because that's gotten started. I know Jason uh, Panini was out in Arizona. But the quality he was saying of Juco ball is, in Arizona is not quite what it is in Florida. I think we kind of knew that, though. I think Florida, mm-hmm. um, maybe some Texas and California. But don't quote me on that. But we know how strong it is in Florida. Carter Stewart was out there. He made his first, uh, I guess, collegiate start. And, uh, the boys were out there, Kyler and Jason, they got some video, they wrote it up. Uh, Kyler had some more live looks this week as well. I'd, uh, I, I, I'd, I'd ask you to go over to the site, check that out. I think it's worth your time. I'll have some stuff coming up on Chris Paddock. Um, we're going to write up the six to Sanchez trades. We'll have that coming up as well. I know Lance is working on some stuff. Eddie's working on some stuff. Um, I have a dynasty uh, post I've been writing forever that's finally going to come out because the draft finally ended. It was 50 rounds. took took about four months, but it's done. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty excited for moving forward. I think that's all we got for this week. And once you had any other baseball-related hot takes you wanted to throw at me, Lance.
2: No. No, I think I'm good, man. I think, we yeah, we keep this one pretty short, pretty tight. But, you know, we hit on three things that I think are relevant. And we'll obviously start picking things back up with spring training rolling around, pitchers and catchers next week. So, we'll actually be able to see some baseball. I think that the first MLB TV games are streamed the last weekend in February, if I'm not mistaken, because I saw my email through earlier today about uh, about renewing my account. So I'm very excited about that. I think the 20th and the 23rd is when we'll start to see some games, even if it's split squad, even if it's only a couple guys, it's baseball, man. And I'm pretty excited for that.
1: That's when we get all the prospect looks too. against major leaguers sometimes. So yeah, a lot of fun, man. But uh, I guess that's it. Let's sign off here. You know, another week in the Razzball Prospect Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, boys. Girls, everybody. JCPenney's Memorial Day Sale: sizzling deals are on with storewide doorbusters all weekend or bring home savings up to 50% during our Memorial Day home sale. Save
0: even more with your coupon and for all former and active military personnel enjoy an extra 10% off in-store. Just show a valid military or VA ID at checkout. Shopping is back. JCPenney coupon valid on select styles through 5:30. Some exclusions apply. Doorbusters valid 5:26 to 5:30 and excluded from coupons. See store or jcp.com for details.